Welcome back to Making Conversations Count with me, Wendy Harris. Today, we're going to be making conversations about mental wealth count. What's new, Wendy Wu? Well, we're continuing to get wonderful feedback and I just want to take this opportunity to highlight that every guest writes a letter to listeners inviting you to carry on the conversation with them directly. And often they are gifting us free downloads and resources and special offers for you. There's also links to books if our guests have written something on their topic. So please do go check out the website, all the W's, makingconversationscount.com and go to the guest offers and resources page. Today's guest comes at it from a slightly different perspective. And you know me, I like to bring you all the different variety of perspectives that I can because I know that that's what helps me. So if it helps me, it's likely to help others too. Now, Mike Pagan is better known for swimming the channel in a relay in the fastest time in the highest tides. And that's our connection. That's how we got chatting because of the swimming angle. I'm going to let him explain more about the conversations that he's had that's led him to the journey that he's on. I think the listeners really want to know a little bit more about Mike and how those conversations come about in the first place, because I'm guessing that a lot of people have a bit of resistance to change, want the transformation and want the end results, but maybe don't like the how they have to get there and the things that they've got to do. So I thought that would be a good place to start. It's that fine line of in the necessary graft, the necessary research, the planning and all those things. I I had a meeting recently with a gentleman who refers to himself as a visionary. He starts stuff, but he knows he's not finishes anything. We need people in our lives that are completed finishers if we're visionaries. And we need people who are visionaries if we're very, very good at making stuff happen. And it's part of that is the self-reflection and knowing what sort of person you is. And I intentionally did that in your best, my best English. Well, do you know what? My eldest daughter would say I is someone who has lots of ideas. And sometimes the ideas come so thick and fast that we can't actually get through them. But I think in some respects, that's a process of your brain working out the getting to the best outcome. And of course, that's why I've got my daughter helping me is because she can keep up with me usually and can help sort of cut out those bits to get it done. And it's it's the difference, isn't it, between us having ideas and then beating ourselves up because we, we're not finishers and having good ideas and getting people to help us finish it for us or with us. I'm old. I class myself as old now. You know, when you get to sort of 30 plus years in Korea, if I look back 30 years, anybody that was over 40 was old. So I'm being generous. Um, To be fair, ancient, I think, would have been the phrase I'd have referred to. But I think that's the wisdom that comes, isn't it, with that period of time to give you, you know, a reflection to test and measure on things. And we seem to be in this society and, and, you know, there's this perception that we on our own, in our own being and in our own skin can be the everything that we want to be. But the misconception is that you can't do it on your own. You can't do absolutely everything on your own. I don't know anybody that can do it on our own. That's why we have families. 
That's why you have male and female roles. That's why you have people that are good at one thing and good at another. And and this is why I get so passionate about my mental wealth team, that support network, because we can't do it all. Whether you are the best entrepreneurial mind in the world, the casualties, it's it's like the Cruella de Vil blowing through a room and leaving debris behind and and people have to clear up and everything else that goes with it. Uh, Just the, the dynamics on one side of the spectrum and the grafters on another, but everybody in between, we cannot do this thing called life successfully in isolation on our own because in isolation it kills creativity prevents decision making and then can have a detrimental effect on our mental health it's so important to have those those right people around us challenging provoking cajoling and so that because they get more out of us and, and some of them have, have a vested interest because they're family others they're employees but it's selecting those people that really help us step up and raise our game. And it's interesting because I did watch the new Emma Stone version of Cruella over the weekend with my 13-year-old. And what you're saying there is absolutely right. While she comes across as this real rebel, visionary in fashion, there were key people behind her that actually helped lift her up. Even if she didn't see that, as an outsider watching, we could see that. So the dynamic of that relationship and, and of course, the last 18 months has shown us ever more so that isolation and decision making can't be done in isolation. And to be positive about it, because I like to always try and stay positive about things, we can still get on and even in a really difficult and challenging environment, can't we? We can still do business I, and have relationships and make decisions. Totally. I will focus on people that I work with on on specific ways of building that support team so that it's fit for purpose for the way forward. That's a a key demarcation line, a fit for purpose for the way forward, because I learned this with the work I did with professional elite sportsmen and women transitioning to their life after sport. Obviously, that's very poignant at the moment with Olympics and Paralympics and everything else been going on recently. Sure. And it's, it's when the guillotine comes down, and you are retired, those 35 people that kept you on the track in the pool or on the pitch yesterday are no longer fit for purpose for what you're going to do next. And most of us, our transitions are not as um, draconian or absolute as that. But we transition from being a student at school to a sixth former, from a sixth former to an apprentice or a a student doing a degree or, or whatever equipment to the first time we buy a home, to um, having a partner, a life partner, becoming a parent, having a dog, whatever it happens to be. But the way through to all of these bits through our lives, where we transition from being on the shop floor to getting our first managerial role, when we, we go from management to exec to whatever, that journey. Every time we transition, the team we need around us has to adapt. And there'll be certain people that we leave behind because they're no longer fit for purpose. We need 2.0, we need the 3.0 and everything else of, of that person because they're going to help us achieve more because they're going to ask the better questions than we ask of ourselves. That's where the key to all of this comes from is where you've got people asking better questions of ourselves because then we can really uncover the magic. And that analogy of sports people, I know that I've got a couple of past guests that have been on, like Steve Judge, he was a para triathlete. Yep. 
He's now a professional speaker and he inspires through scouting and the different activities that he does. David Smith is Smithy. He's actually currently, as we're recording this, he's in Tokyo winning his battles from his wheelchair doing boccia. And, mm. and it's interesting because they have this mentality of they've always got this forward plan of plan B as such. They are totally in the moment in terms of what they're doing now, but they have always got in mind what is next because it's, they know it's the journey is, this is just a chapter, I suppose, in what it is that they're doing. And not a lot of business owners see that longevity, see that plan. They might think business plan, five-year goals, but are they prepared for a curveball that's like a pandemic? It's been trying for us all, hasn't it? It's that short-term thinking versus medium and longer-term thinking. And as a child, you, you do short-term thinking the whole time because you can't see past lunchtime, you can't see past next Tuesday, whatever it is. There's no long-term thinking. And then eventually you start to realise, actually, I need to plan out my work so that I don't fail my exam so that I can go on. It's what we do as we get older to have the people challenging so that we're not only reacting to a catastrophic medical diagnosis to make us give up the self-sabotaging habits that we have that are preventing us from being awesome more of the time, most of the time. And it's the foundation of all behavioural change is is an emotional connection. Anybody who says they want to give up smoking, for example, that's not going to happen. Very rarely does that happen over with a click of a switch, unless you've managed to get some brilliant hypnosis technique that works. And, And for some, it can work. More often than not, it's a diagnosis that scares the what's-its out of you that makes you clear on that decision. I know in in my family, my wife would love to have talked to her mother at the age of 40 and told her to give up smoking because that was going to take her life early and she wouldn't therefore have a, a relationship with her grandchildren. It's one of those conversations. Well, that's an emotional connection, which changes the game. Once we've made that, then everything from self-care, losing weight, nutrition, all the things that we need to do to help us perform better, we will go and seek the support of the, the right person who's going to help us do that. Because quite often, we can't do it on our own. Let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chin wag, let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. There's something a little bit self-sabotaging about society as well, isn't there? Because we know that we've got a fantastic NHS, although it's under pressure right now, that if we have something that happens to us, we'll go and they'll kind of fix us. There's not enough emphasis, I think, on the preventative stuff that we can do for ourselves, is there? Like being able to look ahead and go, well, do I want to be around for my grandkids? Yeah, of course, you know. I remember I had two sets of grandparents, one that couldn't really get out of the chair and the other one that would run around on the football field with us. Two completely different sort of physical grandparents 
So our relationships were completely different. So the question to ask yourself is, what kind of grandparent do you want to be? Mm, That's an easy question, but the answer is not simple. Yeah, I want to be the fun one. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I want to get my revenge on my children. Exactly. (laughs) What do you mean you shouldn't feed them these sweeties? (laughs) But you you talk on the sort of the medical support and sort of that difference between reactive and proactive and preventative. We make choices and obviously illnesses and afflictions and so on aside, we still make choices that, that make the probability of things more or less likely. And obviously we, we want to live a life. So that means that you will have scars, you will have bruises, you will have things going. But what, one of the things I find that's very interesting, I, I lived in Australia for a number of years. In their GP practices, in their medical centres, they will have their GPs, but they also have a whole load of preventative, non-medically approved systems. Alternative and holistic approaches. Surely not. Yes. And they're under the same roof. Yes. Because one is reacting to a problem or a situation or a diagnosis or an illness. And the other one is trying to feed the soul, the body and everything else to make sure that they put less of a burden on the other one because people are taking better care. It's something that doesn't happen in the UK yet, but I'm sure that uh, hybrids like that will build. But it comes back to that whole thing of self-care. And for me, self-care is uh, the the first step of building that mental wealth team. When we've got the self-care in place, we're doing it proactively. And rather than just waiting for something horrible to go wrong, that um, we've got to fix the tyre now. Well, it's that kind of heart, soul and mind, isn't it? Sort of analogy that sometimes the emphasis is put too much on just one thing, whereas our mind if you get a chance to listen to, to Rob Begg, blew a lot of our listeners' minds because he was talking about how ego reads the same books, talks us out of talking ourselves out of doing things that are bad for us. And it's the knock-on effect that that has to you, your emotions, as well as your physical self. So there's a lot to be said for trying to bring that 360 approach in to living a great life. For me, I would talk about having a coach because coaches, for me, get more out of you than you do on your own. It's giving people permission to really have your back and knowing the difference between those who are just social noise versus people that are are truly supportive of you and will call you out when you need it. But you can call them out so you can be open, honest, transparent, naked with them as you ask for that support. And asking for help has always been historically that sort of that sign of weakness. And that's not how it should be. Asking for help is just part of uh, getting other people who know something better and different to you. There's a thousand and one analogies we can use on it. But the reality is other people have more stuff, more intuition, more experience of a particular environment. Fine. Why wouldn't you invest 30 minutes in learning from somebody else? who knows what you're about to go into better. Yeah, it's an interesting point that you make there really, Mike, because there are so many coaches out there that it is really hard to kind of wade through who you should be dealing with. But I think the best coach for you is somebody who's usually been through a very similar experience that you're in right now. And that's the homework that, that needs to be done, isn't it? That if you can see some alignment with that coach, there's got to be that real connection to what mm. you do. It's that chemistry bit. I always talk about the four areas of sort of where you can get support from. So the consultant, 
who comes along, they investigate what the issue is and the challenge is, they give you a report and a bill, uh, and then you can ask them to implement it. And if it's successful, it was your choice. If it fails, it was the consultant's fault, obviously. Yeah. Counselling, by contrast, is a sort of deep dive going into the background, the personal, the everything from childhood to psychology to every, there's, there's so much of a different approach there with a medical vein to it. The mentoring, I've been there, I've done that, I've built it, learned from my mistakes, let me share with you my cleverness and my knowledge along the way. But for me, the coaching is actually, it's a blank piece of paper. Where are you trying to get to? What are the options available to you? How can we help you build those? And which of these angles that we've been discussing are you going to commit to acting upon? So it's not about telling somebody what to do. I quite often will coach people totally outside of my sphere of knowledge and experience as far as the product or the industry, because if they wanted that from me, then they want mentoring or they'd want a consultant. They need somebody who's going to help them lift and raise the bar. And that comes from finding their goals and their challenges to the point that when you meet them again in the next session, if they turn around and they haven't done A, B or C that they said they were going to, then why did they commit to it in the first place? Because we did all the graft around you wanting to do that. So what's changed? What was missing? Why isn't that working? How does that come together? Again, it's back to that raises the game, be that in a performance in business, performance on a stage or performance in a swimming pool, whatever it happens to be. I'm so glad you brought swimming up because that's really how we got chatting in the first instance, wasn't it? It was, we're both swimmers. I can't claim to have swum the channel though. And let's be fair, I've only swum bits of it because I did a relay, not a solo, which means I'm mad, not stupid, or stupid, not mad. I can't remember which one. (laughs) I think anybody. And you didn't do it at the best time of year either with the right tides and things. And so you kind of really pushed. Yeah, we got on a a spring tide rather than a neat tide because of the weather. Mother Nature was not letting us go. We set off in thunderstorms over northern France and... It was swimming in a washing machine filled, filled with all sorts of beauties and dark and rain. But then the second half of the swim, the tides changed. It went very flat. Because it was a spring tide, the tide was huge. Uh, so it's 23 miles in a straight line from Dover to Calais. And on the swoosh, we did 35 miles. But we were the fastest men's relay team, full relay team that year when we did it, 2015. At one point, I was swimming for an hour. And I was swimming faster than Michael Phelps. I did 7.2 kilometres in an hour. Apparently, there's a tide involved that helped me. I was going to say, I'm going to, you know, I'm not going to call out Michael Phelps. I'm, I'm going to put it down to Mother Nature's <laughs> helping hand. <laughs> Mother Nature was certainly helping. I was flying. And yeah. That was brilliant. And what was the best experience? You know, what was the key highlight for achieving that challenge there's two sides i'll give you the cynical one first and the real one afterwards the cynical one is more people have climbed everest than swum the english channel i've got bragging rights for life yes true so so i've got that one the more personal one was sitting on the boat coming back afterwards and just to all of us just sitting there with that sense of pride and glow of what we'd achieved we'd taken two years to learn how to swim in open water We'd never done stuff like that before. Just getting used to cold water swimming because you are just swimming in budgie smugglers and a hat. Learned so much about myself, fell in love with the, this active 
meditation or mindfulness as as I refer to it nowadays. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. I, I can't sit still and sing kumbaya in my head and, and go on. And I know that's totally being dismissive of people that uh, are very much into the world of meditation and mindfulness. But for me, swimming long distances or longer distances in open water, just plodding along that repetitive nature of the stroke after stroke, you get out of the water and it's so cathartic. And, it, and if it's cool or cold water, then utter invigoration as well. And that proud glow about you. Look at what I've done. and I'm feeling really good. It's amazing, isn't it? I mean, I know that it's being in tune with my breathing that really helps settle my mind. And then my mind just goes off on all sorts of places. So the repetitiveness that you mentioned is in swimming and in when I do the ironing. I'm sure everybody's going to love that I've shared that, but that just that doing something, I know how to do that without really putting my brain into any gear as such. It's much the same as swimming. I can do that without putting my brain into too much of a gear. So the thoughts that come out from that activity, I would say, even if it is that you're washing the car or mowing the lawn or. It's the cumulative effect of a repetitive action. That's where I would put active mindfulness or active meditation again, depending on which badge sits better for you. Walking up a hill, going climbing when you're going through deep snow or whatever else, or as you say, ironing, anything that is ongoing repetitive. When I was a child, obviously, there were a lot of people still did hobbies. And so whether that be from whittling to making stools and bobbins. Absolutely. Part of the skill of when you were doing hobbies was. Just tuning out from daily, doing his knitting at the, at the Olympics. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Just, and that's a repetitive action that is just ongoing, ongoing. Versus nowadays where we're just being stimulated by a screen uh, and everything that's going on there. And he said, she said, FOMO nonsense and everything else in between. So the ability to switch off is so much harder now. Mm. We are allowed to get bored understanding boredom helps you understand yourself more but if you never ever get bored because you've always got a phone the advert comes on when on the tv show you're watching what does everybody around you do picks up the phone and checks their social media again because of course it's so important you missed out on nothing in that timeline but we do it so we don't allow ourselves to switch off no i'm laughing because that's exactly right you know or it's uh Go make a cup of tea, go fetch the treats. That's the other one, isn't it? You know, we've had a hard, busy day. We're going to reward ourselves now. Yeah, it can teach you an awful lot, boredom, I think. And certainly those children that have been doing homeschooling, I do hope that they learn some of the lifelong lessons, like how to cook for themselves or, you know, just by helping out, you know, because the added pressures and things. You never know, we could have a really good generation for the next bake-off, you know, in 10 years' time. Let me tell you about my Power Up programme. An hour and a half with me and accountability later. It's by no means ever going to fix everything. But what it will do is it will allow us to find one area that's a key priority for you to implement straight away into your business and allow you to just see the other areas that you need work on. It's a great stepping stone into the 12-week building block programme. Just book a chinwag, let's have a natter and let's see how I can help you. 
kind of brings me to that point, really, then, Mike, where I ask every guest the same question. But of course, I don't know what the answer is. And that is the conversation that has created a turning point for you in your life and what happened next. So are you happy to share with us what that was? The conversation that created a turning point for me. This is a slightly long story, but but I'll, I'll keep it as succinct. My father lived in uh, Singapore for a number of years in the 50s and early 60s. And whilst he was out there, he made a lot of friends. It was These were his bachelor years. Long story short, one of his best mates that was there then lived in Thailand. Uh, and I stayed with him when I went travelling as a backpacker. Uh, so I, I'd met this chap. And that kind of was just one of those, I'd met this person. When I moved out to Australia at the age of 29, my father was still in chatting to his friend in Bangkok, and who said, oh, well, Mike's going over there. Tell him he needs to meet my mate Newton. We did some land deals back in the early 70s. He's a really top guy. Long story short, I moved out to Australia. I get this random bloke that my father's ex-drinking mate used to do deals with 30 years previously. They're knocking on the door of this very affluent area, and this guy answers the door. Uh, hi, uh, uh, hi, Mike. I'm Newton. Uh, I'm feeling a bit crook, mate. Just had my first day of chemo, but come on in. Let's have a chat. And I just don't know where this is going. He then starts talking about a business that he was considering investing in. But he said, but they don't have any commercial skills. Uh, and from what you've been describing, could be a good fit for you. Long story short, he didn't put the money in. He put me in. So I joined this organisation that I was with for several years. Then when I moved back to the UK, they bought me out several years later. I did further studies because of the people that I met through that organisation, which was totally transforming the way I worked and what I did. The sad part of the story is three months after I met Newton, he died. It was just that snapshot of time going back to my dad getting drunk in the late 1950s in Singapore with his friends at the cricket club. If I had not been there at that time, I wouldn't have met Newton, who wouldn't have then introduced me to these other people and talk about quantum life-changing directions and everything else was utterly huge. And to this day, the people that I used to work with in that organisation, I still count as friends. And I've literally just introduced them to somebody else who's moving out that direction, who I know that they can complement through the universities and other work that they do. So he's kind of gone full circle then that the help that Newton and your dad have given to you, you're now passing on as well absolutely that's fantastic and beauty of making your network work yeah and have you ever thought what would have happened had you have not been in that snapshot of time what you'd be doing I'd have probably landed up uh, getting a job when I moved out there uh, that would have been a, a very different journey in my time that was there as a result of that when I came back to the UK I took commercial skills into businesses, which nowadays would be called business coaching. But at that time, it wasn't. So yeah, it, it's sort of unlocked all sorts of things. And my father, he was a very emotionally intelligent, clever man who was 100% allergic to academia. But <laughs> <laughs> there's a few that could probably relate to that. Yeah. Um, I think he got 2% in his geography O level because he spelled his name right on the piece of paper, they said. <laughs> but he knows where the pub is. That's the most I mean, important well, thing. He, he got himself to Singapore. <laughs> yeah. 
that is fascinating, isn't it? Because an academic life is not for everybody and I'm, and I'm not discounting it. I know I've, I've joked before about Gary Vee and how he says, you know, save yourself forty, fifty thousand dollars or UK pounds or whatever, because it is an expensive education. But for some, it just doesn't work, does it? It's, you know, you, you're better off getting the foundation as a, of, of a job and earning a small crust and learning on the job as you go. So, you know, I'm, I'm with your dad on that one. That's exactly what I did. I didn't do <laughs> academics either. <laughs> but it's a well, fascinating... Contrast, I, I have gone on and done things in academia, but my writing natural style is the way I speak, which grammatically is not the way it should be. The phonetics, uh, I, I, darling, phonetics. Absolutely. I married a grammar queen, so she rips apart a lot of what I write. But for me, I've published four books now. But that's not because I'm sort of a flowing, bronte, Jane Austen author, whatever. But I write in a very conversational style. It's very real. It's very human. That's the only way I can do it, which obviously for some people works perfectly. For others, it, it doesn't float them. That's great. That's the whole point. It's finding the writing style that works for you. and that, that Not trying together. to be something for an audience that you don't know. Exactly. Mike, I'm going to have to check out your books. When it comes to carrying on the conversation, because I always encourage listeners to reach out to guests after the show, where's the best place for them to find you? Two simple bits. The joys of having a surname like Pagan, there aren't many Mike Pagans out there. If you find the one who lives in Hawaii and does lots of surfing, that's not me. Just saying. I do occasionally get some information from. Uh, But yeah, so MikePagan.com is the absolute simplest way or stalking me via LinkedIn. But please, if you do want to connect and, and chat to me via LinkedIn, put some share a message in the connection request because mention the show. Yes, yes. Exactly. Make yes. it work. Yes. Make it relevant. Absolutely. Mike, it's been an absolute pleasure chatting to you. Thank you so much for being my guest. No problem. Thank you for your time and your faith in inviting me to come and share. I was going to say pearls of wisdom, but that's a bit conceited. Uh, uh, nonsense stories of travels and joy. It's been wonderful. Thank you. Will that conversation that Mike and I had affect you in a way that you can start to look at the relationships that you have in the real world in a different light? Do hope so. Next week, it's a young man that I met a decade ago who was the Young Entrepreneur of the Year. He's made his name in chocolate and gone on to do all sorts of other incredible things. His name's Louis Barnett. There are sort of two categories of people that that are involved in sustainability, those that really care or those that want to be seen to care. (laughs) 